Amen. Good saying. Good to be here. I'm glad y'all are here tonight and just uh, praise the Lord. Looking forward to another great night in the Word of God. Amen. A uh, uh, pastor friend of mine, Brother Derek Eccles, is here tonight with us. He's the pastor of uh, Crimson Avenue Baptist Church in Nixa. And uh, Brother, if you would, would you open us in prayer tonight? Amen. Please do be seated. Uh, Mindy, do we have a song today? A special? No? Okay. All right. We're going to sing number 175. 175. Well, I really hate to do this to you. <laughs> but you really can't stand on the promises sitting down, can you? <laughs> sorry. sorry for doing that to you. Here we go. Oh, Lord, after him eternally, my Lord. 
chat. All right, now you can sit down. <laughs> We're going to be leaning now. Amen? <laughs> so, 460, 460. What a thankful that y'all are here and I, I know that uh, when I chose this day you, you know you can never really anticipate everything I knew that uh, some people had conflicts but I'm very thankful for your faithfulness and and just uh, continue to pray for the meetings having said that we've had quite a following uh, on the videos people have been watching the live stream or whatever they call it and and uh, we had 12 following uh, last uh, last service, and I was really encouraged by Jeanette. She, Jeanette apparently watched all the uh, all the services and posted them up there and shared them. And, and uh, just you know, uh, there is one advantage to having the recordings: is you can go back, you can share, you encourage people. And uh, and we've already talked about this, but every message has really laid a foundation for the next, and it's been line upon line, precept upon precept. And it's all about just strengthening. I don't know about you, but we, I think we can sense that we are genuinely living in the last of the last days. I, I do believe the Apostle Paul believed he was in the last days, and, and if he believed that, then we're certainly in the last of the last. And I will tell you this, we've, we've uh, uh, you know, COVID has brought about a different society. It's brought a different church where people are very comfortable being isolated. And so I'm just glad that we're all here and, and singing together and what a blessing that it is. 
But because of that, you know, people will watch the videos. And so use it as a witnessing tool and an outreach tool. And uh, But any, anyhow, I'm excited for tonight's message, so I don't want to take any more time. I will say this, and this is very carnal. Uh, we, uh, we had the opportunity today. We took them down. We were going to go look at the eagles, so we went to Roaring River. We saw one eagle. Well, at least we saw one. <laughs> Amen. But I don't know what day March 1st is. I hope it's not a Sunday. If it's, this does not apply if March 1st is a Sunday. But if it's not on a Sunday, you need to get out. They got some huge fish they're going to be putting in that. <laughs> I'm, biggest fish I've ever seen down there. And, uh, whew, sorry, okay, we all pray for me. I told you I got carnal, just got carnal for a second. Sorry about that. But uh, we are looking forward to it. So, Brother Jeremy Taylor, you come. Preach the message, Lord, say it on your heart, brother. Thanks so much. Well, good evening. Let's take our Bible, shall we? And let's go over to Psalm 73 tonight. Take your Bible. Let's go together to the 73rd Psalm. We appreciate your pastor taking us out, the family and I, today. And what a beautiful, beautiful place over there. Uh, we don't have that in Oklahoma, all right? We just, uh, we just don't. Uh, but what a, what a blessing. Enjoy the day of fellowship. And he is not kidding. Uh, if I, I don't even, I'm not even a fisherman, all right? I'm really not. I like to hunt and do some things like that, but I'm not much of a fisherman. But I tell you what, looking at them trout, I was like, man, I could turn into a fisherman real quick. Uh, that was incredible. And so we certainly enjoyed our time. do appreciate, again, your pastor. I appreciate that he didn't get up here and talk about what percentage we got left. Uh, he started doing that. That bothered me. We got, you know, 37% done. And I'm like, okay, what's he trying to say? But no, it's been fast. I mean, it's already Tuesday night. Yes, sir. And I do appreciate those who've been here and been faithful and came when you can and those things. Uh, it's always better when you have people to preach to, all right? Uh, but I have my kids, and so I know that I got something to preach about. Uh, I bring them on for a purpose. I know all their problems, all their sin, and those things, and so I always got something to deal with. But uh, no, I'm glad you're here tonight. Looking forward to see what the Lord has for us. So let's get together tonight. Let's go to the 73rd Psalm. And I want you to stand with me if you would. We're going to look at this entire Psalm, but we're going to read one verse, deal with our introduction, and kind of look throughout this particular Psalm at some truths that I hope will be a challenge and a blessing to us tonight. And so the 73rd Psalm, look all the way to the end of the psalm and look in verse number 28 with me tonight would you please the bible says but it is good for me to draw near to god i have put my trust in the lord god that i may declare all thy works would you read that with me can we read that together out loud tonight but it is good for me to draw near to god i have put my trust in the lord god that i may declare all thy works really incredible verse when we think about it the heart of the psalmist here says I need to draw near to God well, let's let's pray tonight shall we our father we thank you for the privilege of being gathered together we do thank you for the good services that you've given us already thank you for speaking to my heart and father encouraging me and challenging me from the studying of your word father we need you again tonight I pray that God will clear my mind my thoughts 
Father, may you forgive me of any sin or self or anything that might stand as a hindrance to the preaching of your word. I pray you give me clarity tonight. Dear Lord, be with my speech. May you somehow give me the ability to relay the truth that you have for us, that it might impact our hearts and take root and produce the fruit that would most glorify and honor you. Father, meet with us as only you can. Encourage us, challenge us, rebuke us. Whatever it is that you see fit, we need tonight. May you have liberty to work in and amongst our uh, services tonight. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so very, very much. You may be seated. If you'll take and look at the beginning of this particular psalm with me tonight, and you'll notice verse 1, but you'll look right above verse number 1. There is a heading for this particular psalm. And the Bible says that this, this heading here, it calls it a psalm of Asaph. A psalm of Asaph. Now, this is one of actually ten different psalms that are accredited to this particular man and given with his name. Now, in case you're wondering who Asaph is, Asaph is the chief musician that has been appointed by David to walk and play the music and lead the music before the Ark of the Covenant, according to 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse number 5. Asaph and his family from the time of David down through generations is associated with the music incorporated with the house of God. We find that it's there at the start when Solomon establishes the temple. We find that going on further to the days of Hezekiah in 2 Chronicles 29 verse 13, we find that Asaph and his sons and his descendants are a part of the music when Josiah is on the scene according to 2 Chronicles 35 and 15. We find that even when they return from captivity, and they began to build the new temple and establish the foundation with Zerubbabel, the Bible says in Ezra chapter 3 and verse 10 that the sons of Asaph are appointed here and they participate in the music. Now I'm just trying to get our mind and our thought and our attention on who this man and his family are. We, we kind of read a particular psalm like this and we look at the heading and it says a psalm of Asaph. And honestly, that name Asaph just doesn't jump off the page. It doesn't carry the same notoriety that, say, Abraham or a Moses, or a Peter, or a Paul might. But I promise you, had you lived in the days of David and the following generations and been around the house of God to any kind of degree, you'd have known who Asaph and his family or his descendants were. They were a very well-known family of that day and their participation within the house of God. And I got to thinking about this man Asaph. I thought about David himself. I think most of us would understand tonight that David is a very skilled musician himself. Uh, he is called the sweet psalmist of Israel. And David, not only could he play instruments, not did he just have the skill to perform and play, but my friend, he understood the importance of music. 
He understood how music can affect a person's mood and it can change their spirit. It was David that they had called in to come and play his harp and it helped Saul when he was dealing with an evil spirit. And I'm just telling you, David understood. Now, I don't think I'm stretching this a little bit tonight, but I think we'd all agree that David could be qualified as an expert in music. And yet of everybody that he chose, of anybody that he could have handpicked to lead his music program, David chose specifically this man by the name of Asaph. Now I think if David thought he was pretty good, then ladies and gentlemen, it, I, I think we're on safe ground to say, yeah, he knew what he was doing. And Asaph was a man, again, who would probably fall in line a lot like David. Not only did he have a skill and a talent level, but I would say to you tonight that there was a certain level of spirituality about Asaph when it comes to this issue. Because can we agree tonight that when it comes to the issue of music, it's not just always about talent. There is a certain level of spirituality that needs to come into to, to, to play, especially when you're leading the music and, and singing and things in the house of God. And so Asaph was hand-chosen and appointed by David for this purpose. And yet, out of his own confession, he says... It is good for me to draw near to God. And it's just, this isn't a lighthearted statement. This isn't some casual thought that he's just shooting out there without a whole lot of thought behind it. My friend, when he draws this particular psalm to a close, he confesses with his heart, it is good for me to draw near to God. And would you understand with me that, ladies and gentlemen, this is a cry. What Asaph is saying is, it's not just good that I would be close to God if I could be. And, you know, if I get the opportunity, yeah, I, I, I recognize I ought to be that. No, the idea here is it's a cry, it's a desperation, it is a recognition, a confession, if you would. I need to be close unto the Lord. Amen. The pastor's already alluded to it about the day and age in which we live. And my friend, if there was ever a cry, if there was ever a time of acknowledgement from God's people that we need to be close to Him, it's the day and age in which we live. With so much darkness and wickedness in our society and you're being bombarded with all kind of things everywhere you go. I mean, you can't go to Walmart without seeing some things. And by the way, if you get to know me very long, you'll know I hate Walmart. My wife says, you shouldn't use that word hate. Well, I don't know how else to say it tonight. I hate Walmart. I go twice a year if I have to. My friend, you go to Walmart and see things. And have to turn your head. It's all around us. And there ought to be a cry from the very hearts of God's people. I 
need. It's not just, well, if I can. Well, if it happens to work out that way. Well, it would be good if. No, there ought to be a cry from our heart. Oh God, I need to be close to you. I need you every single day. I need you every moment. I need you every hour. God, help me in my heart to be close to you the way I ought to be. Because the psalmist here is not just making a simple, lighthearted declaration, but it is a cry from his soul that I need to be close unto him. You couple that with the thought in James chapter 4 and verse number 7 where the Bible says, He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him in a sin. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to understand and recognize that if, there's, if we're not as close to him as we ought to be, then the issue is not God. We talked about that a little bit on Sunday. The issue is us, and we need to do whatever it takes, whatever it is required of us, to make sure that we're as close to him as we possibly can. So let me give you a couple things in this psalm tonight as we preach on this idea, draw me near. Draw me near. First of all, I want you to notice the incentive to draw near. Go back to the beginning of the psalm with me and look in verse number two. The psalmist said, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. Asaph here paints the picture of how he's kind of stumbling around a little bit. I almost lost my footing. You know, this time of the year in Oklahoma, it, it can be 60 degrees one day and it can be negative 10 the next day. And we just went through a little bit of uh, a couple weeks ago through a, a, a sleet and some ice and those kind of things. And it's amazing how you can get out there and all of a sudden, I mean, things be, you know, normal and those things. And then you step in the wrong place or the wrong idea. And all of a sudden, what you thought was a sure foundation and what you thought was okay is not nearly as solid as what you expected. And before you know it, your feet are kind of going this way and that way. And you're not so sure about your standing and your foundation. Asaph said about him, he said, listen, I've gotten to the point to where I feel like my feet are coming out from under me. I'm not standing as tall and strong and solid and sure as I once did. My feet are going this way and that way. And you understand, he's not talking about a physical stumbling. He's talking about where he is in his spiritual well-being. He said, my, my, my feet had almost slipped. We sometimes equate the idea of stumbling and slipping with the idea of falling. I, I, I tell you, I don't know if you've ever fallen on the ice, but it's not fun. <laughs> it hurts. And spiritually, Asaph here is describing an idea of what it is to, to really almost lose your footing. It, it, sometimes we call it this, Sometimes we have the idea of backsliding. And by the way, your Christian life is likened over 
and over and over in the Bible to a spiritual walk. Colossians chapter 1 verse 14, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 1, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. All these verses and several more tell us that we're to walk worthy of our God that we might please him and honor him the way he should be. And so we're told that our Christian life is like a walk. And there are occasions that we began to walk one step after another, after another, and we're walking down our Christian life. And ladies and gentlemen, if we're not careful, we can start losing track of where we are and what's going on, and we step in a way or a manner or a place we shouldn't, and what we thought at one time was sure footing isn't really as sure as we thought it was. So preacher, what are you getting at tonight? I want you to understand somebody like Asaph, somebody who was hand-chosen to lead the music of a king to whom the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. He was a man that no doubt was actively involved in the house of God, held position, did things, and yet it says about him, he from his own mouth said I had gotten to the point to where my feet weren't as solid as I used to think they were. But you know, Asaph is not the only one that makes a statement similar to this. In Proverbs chapter 5, we find this about Solomon in verse number 14. He says, I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. That's what Solomon said. I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. He's not talking about being surrounded just by wicked people. He's talking about where he is as an individual. He says, I was almost in all evil in the midst. You understand getting, getting cold, indifferent, backslidden, stumbling, however we want to call it tonight. Do you understand that it's not always done from the world? It's not done just because, well, we're out drinking and we're out running the streets or we're sitting home looking at stuff that we got no business looking at. It's not just debauchery and wicked sin, ladies and gentlemen. You can come to the house of God service after service. You can come and be actively involved. I'm talking about participate and doing things and be here every service. Beyond that, you can hold position. You can have a position. You could be a Sunday school teacher. You could be a deacon. You could be a trustee. You could you can even be a preacher and honestly not be as close to God as what you once were, as what you ought to be. I'm telling you, all of us tonight, if it's true for Asaph, if it's true for Solomon, then it's certainly true for the likes of you and me tonight. We can hold position, be in the house of God, and still not be close to him like we ought to be. And our heart ought to cry, God, let me be close to you because we ought to be aware tonight of our own propensity to get away from him. And somebody says, oh, preacher, hold up now. Hold, hold on. I understand that you're carnal. Well, I'd have to agree with that. 
Preacher, I understand that you're vulnerable and I understand others are vulnerable to, to get backslidden and cold and indifferent with God. But I just want you to know tonight, preacher, I don't deal with that. I don't really have that issue. That's not a problem in my life. Can I share a verse with you tonight? The Bible says in the book of Hosea, chapter 11, and verse number 7, the Lord speaking about His people, says, My people are bent to backsliding from Me. What does that mean to be bent? It means to be predisposed. To have a nature, have a predisposition. It's within our nature to be carnal, to be fleshly, just to kind of, we've already talked about this somewhat this week, but my friend, we have the nature about us to become very mechanical in our Christian walk, in our Christian life. And I'm telling you, every single one of us have that ability and that propensity within us. Asaph had it. Solomon confessed it. And I tell you, if you and I are going to be honest, we would have to say, yeah, I, I fall into that category as well. So there is the incentive to draw near. How do we, why? Because we're bent to backslide. We're bent. I, the old hymn writer wrote in the song, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And he was exactly right. If you and I aren't careful and we don't pay attention and we don't keep an honest evaluation and examination of our lives and our hearts, then my friend, we have this very ability and not just can it be a possibility, but often it's a probability. Right. And we got to pay attention to. He said, well, how does this happen, preacher? Well, look with me in verse number three. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. And he talks about how he begins to look and begins to put his eyes and begins to put his attention on the world and the things around him. And my friend, when you and I began to pay more attention to circumstances, situations, and the world around us than what we do, pay attention to him, I'm going to tell you, we're in trouble. There's a reason that Colossians chapter 3 tells you and I that we're to set our affection on things above and not on the things of this earth. Our heart, our attention, our affection needs to be placed upon the Lord and the things of God and let Him have the preeminence that He deserves. Hey. We got to be careful about what we give attention to. Can I tell you not everything we give attention to that we allow to take our focus and our heart and our affection that not everything is always inherently wicked? You can take and I, I don't know about you, but I, I, we got folks at, at home 
that I, I try to warn every once in a while because they are what I call political junkies. <laughs> They're Fox News 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I mean, it's running all the time. And I, I understand keeping up with current events and what's going on in the political landscape around us. I've got all that. But I'm telling you, sometimes, my friend, we allow our heart, our attention, our focus to be put on different things and we give our focus to that instead of keeping our focus where it ought to be. And I'm telling you, whether it's inherently evil or not, it can become a detriment to you and I when we pay more attention this way than we do that way. Notice what he says. If you go back to verse 1, you say, oh great, we're regressing in this. No, just look in verse 1. He says, truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. So he makes that declaration, but go to verse 13. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain, and washed my hands in innocency. You know what he says? What's the point? What's the use? It really doesn't matter. I've tried this. I've done that. It doesn't make a difference. And because he has set his attention where it shouldn't have been, his thinking. We talked about thinking a little bit last night. And I tell you, one of the most things that we need to battle is our very mind, ladies and gentlemen. There is a battle for the mind of God's people. And when we began to focus on other things other than him, I'm telling you, it'll start skewing the way we look at things and our very spirit and our very demeanor and countenance become affected by those very things. talking about having our attention drawn to a way that it shouldn't be. Several years ago, I already told you a little bit that I like to hunt and those things. Now, I will tell you, the older I get, the more work that becomes and the less fun that becomes, all right? I see an animal walking through the woods, and I'm thinking, man, that's a long way back to the truck. I think I'll just let it walk. But I was getting ready. September was rolling around. Bow season opens October 1st. And I'm getting my bow out and getting my camo laid out and everything. And I've got about a week or two till bow season. And man, I'm, I'm shooting every day and just getting ready for it. And the Lord, you know, laid on my heart. He said, you know, you really, why don't you just put your bow up for the season? You say, well, there's nothing wrong with bow hunting. No, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not, not saying that at all. But I will tell you this, in my own heart and spirit, I was giving it a lot more attention than it needed. In the Lord's life, you might do well if you just put it up for the... For the and I'm like, <laughs> Lord, it's less than two weeks till opening day. I, I tell you what, Lord, I won't go opening day. How about that? You see, you tried to compromise? Absolutely I did. I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't want to put it up. But God really spoke to my heart and dealt with me about putting things before Him. And for that year, I put my bow up and didn't go. 
say, well, what, did that, what happened? It helped me spiritually, honestly. And I don't say that to brag. I say that to really it should have never got to that point. It should have never got to the point that I would allow something more affection and more attention than I allowed him to have in my heart. And there's an incentive to draw near because, ladies and gentlemen, we can get so busy. We can get so preoccupied. We've got devices. We've got responsibilities. We've got activities. We've got this. We've got that. And we can allow our attention, our mind, our focus, our heart to be drawn in a hundred different areas. And sometimes we just need to step back. There is a reason that the Apostle Paul said in the book of Hebrews that we're to lay aside every weight and sin. Sometimes there's some things that, again, in and of themselves are not inherently wicked or evil, but sometimes we just need to set those things to the side, at least for a season, that we might get our attention, our priorities, our heart back where it needs to be. There's an incentive to draw near. Asaph was looking and giving his attention, his focus, in other places where it shouldn't have been. But then there's the insight to draw near. You say, what do you mean the insight, preacher? Well, before Asaph says in verse 28, it is good for him to draw near to God, before he makes that declaration, he gives you and I some insight of what it takes. There are some things that are a reality in his life that drew his heart back to where it ought to be. In fact, let me just give them to you. You'll notice with me in verse number 17 what he says here. He says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. First of all, there's the right place. Hey, he went to the house of God and got in with God's people and amongst God's presence and it helped put the perspective right where it should be and it helped put priorities like they ought to be. He said, when I got into the sanctuary, when I got into God's house, it had an impact on me drawing close to him. You say, well, preacher, you've already made the statement now. You already said that people can come to church and even be involved and have position and really not be as close to God as they ought to. And I'm going to deal with that in just a moment. But ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. You want to talk about starting to get right. Can I tell you that the, good, the, 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 place, the, the, the best place to get your heart right and to get your focus and your attention where it ought to be is right in the house of God. I, it bothers me today. I'll just be honest with you. It bothers me and concerns me about how sometimes we as God's people can take the assembling of ourselves so lightly and flippantly and act. And I've had people look me in the eye and say, well, preacher, you know, I can be as close to God at the lake 
and I can be as close to God down at the racetrack, and I can be as close to God over here and doing that and that kind of stuff. And I'm going to tell you, my friend, that is not true. The house of God is needful in our heart and life. It just makes sense if we want to be close to Him, we ought to be where He's at. Yeah. Didn't, didn't Solomon say that, you know, how can he build a house to whom the God of the heavens of the heavens can't contain? Sure he did. But do you understand with me tonight that there's a special measure of God's presence given unto his house? God will meet with his people and do things in this place that he'll not do anywhere else on the face of planet earth. You know the verse. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. You know, we've regulated that verse to simply mean attendance. But do you realize the idea of assembly is more than just attendance? Go to Walmart, that place I said I hate. <laughs> Buy something, and on the box says assembly required. I hate those things too. <laughs> because here's what happens. You can take that thing, dump it out right there in the middle of the living room floor, and you can have all the parts in attendance and still not be assembled. God's house is to assemble. We are a body. And we're to be connected together. Amen. And while I appreciate technology, and I appreciate those and the ability to be able to tie in, ladies and gentlemen, it's still not the same thing as assembling with the house of God and being connected with God's house and being where we ought to be. Because, listen, I, I, absolutely, we come for the preaching. We come to praise and honor and glorify our Lord. But sometimes we need one another and the fellowship of God's people. And I'm telling you that the very thing that helped Asaph get his heart and his mind right and draw close to the Lord as he got in the right place. But let me hasten on tonight and tell you it's just not the right place. There's also the right perspective here. You say, what do you mean by that? Look at this word. This is, this is, this is fascinating to me. Notice what it says. It says in verse 17, until I went... Now that word, a went, is a very specific word. It doesn't mean just to arrive. It actually means to arrive and obtain. Asaph said, when I got to the house of God, I didn't just say, well, I'm here. No. I got there and I got a hold of what he had for me. In other words, he tuned in. He applied. He got a hold of. Whatever the preacher was given, whatever it came from the scriptures, whatever the teachers, whatever the devotion, whatever it was that God saw fit to give me, Here's what Asaph said. I went to the sanctuary. I arrived 
and I obtained. I got a hold of why I was there. You understand, unfortunately, a lot of times people come and they think, well, I've showed up and somehow that's the goal. And well, I just don't understand why God didn't speak to me. I don't understand why God didn't get a hold of my heart. I don't understand why God didn't show me something or correct me or encourage me or whatever it might be. Well, it's not just the right place that's the issue. It's the right place coupled with the right perspective. I'm here to be able to hear from Him and receive from Him what he wants for me. And there is the need of God's people to come with a spirit and a heart to receive exactly what the Lord wants from you. Go over, take your Bible quickly tonight and look with me in 1 Thessalonians. I want you to see this with your own eyes tonight. And so look with me, would you please, in 1 Thessalonians. Go down to verse 13 with me. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 13. The apostle Paul told the church at Thessalonica, he said, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. You know what Paul said? He said, I'm so grateful that you let the word of God, you didn't just hear it, but you let it have an effect in your life. And if we're not careful, we come to church and we, te- and, and we treat teaching and preaching and the declaration of the Word of God, we'll treat it like an information time instead of instruction time. We're inundated in our world today with information. You, you go to Fox News and you got the newscaster, you got the headline, you got the byline, you got over in the corner this little deal. I mean, we've got alerts and apps and all kinds of things on our phones. We're inundated all the time with information. And we've got to guard against coming and sitting and listening to the Bible as if it's just information. It's not just information, it's instruction. It's a message from him. He's got something to tell me. Well, preacher, you know, sometimes God's pretty blunt in what he says. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But can I say this to you? We ought to be thankful that God cares enough about us to convict our hearts. That he cares enough not to leave us like we are, but wants to get us closer to Him that we might be better for the cause of Christ and the work of God. There's the right place 
there's the right perspective, go to verse 21. Because here's where it culminates. Here's what drove the heart of Asaph to say, Oh, Lord, I need you. I need to be closer to you. Look what he says in Psalm 73 and look in verse 21. He said, Thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Once Asaph got in the right place with the right perspective, it led to the right pain. He was broken. God, I can't believe I let my attention and my heart get to somewhere else. I can't believe that I started looking at the world around me and got jealous of them. I can't believe I was envious over what they got and what they're doing. Lord, I'm so sorry. I was foolish. Forgive me. I mean, there's a heart that is broken in an anguish before God. God, I'm so sorry. I allowed myself to get in this position. We talk about revival. It's already been stated by your pastor that what we're doing this week is a meeting. Revival is yet to be determined within the hearts of God's people. You know what God says about revival? Let me read you a couple of verses. In Psalm 34, verse 18, the Bible says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. In Isaiah 57, 15, he says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So Isaiah 66 verse 2, But to this man will I look even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and tremble at my word. Why a lot of us never recognize that we need to be closer to God than what we are is because a lot of times we're not broken over the fact that we're not close to Him. We may get annoyed by it. We may even give token acknowledgement to it. Yeah, I'm probably not as close as I ought to be, preacher. May even get a little disgusted with things that we allow in our life. I'm talking about when's the last time we were grieved. That word grieved is a specific word. It means to be full of sorrow. To be crushed. And that's exactly what the Lord said. He revives the heart of the contrite one. Those, that word contrite means to be ground to powder. To be crushed. God, how could I do this? How could I allow my heart, my attention, my affection to get in other places after you've been so good to me? 
after all that you've done for me, how you take care of me, how you provide, how you watch over me. I mean, let alone the very fact that you saved my soul and I'll never, ever, ever have to worry about dying and going to hell. But the very fact that you treat me as your child and you're a gracious father, God, how could I allow myself to become distracted and allow my attention and affection and focus and some else other than you. He was broken. He got in the right place with the right perspective. And it brought the right pain. He said, oh God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for getting away from you. Now listen. Remember Asaph is involved in the sanctuary. Again, he's not in the world. He's not out in the bars. He's not downtown doing this and that. I personally believe he wasn't absent from the activities and the services and the things going on in the house of God. But while he was physically there, his heart wasn't there. He said, oh God, I'm sorry. You deserve better than this. There's the incentive to draw near. We need to draw near because we're prone. We're bent to get away from Him. There's the insight for drawing near. We need the right place with the right perspective that will bring about the right pain and have our heart broken before Him. So let me give you this tonight. Look in verse 23 with me. There's the identification from drawing near. When he got his heart right and things settled in between he and the Lord, he began to understand something. He identified a very serious, real truth. Verse 23, here's what he says. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Timmy, come here for a minute, son. Here's what he says. He says, I, you, you were with me. You helped me. All the while I had my attention and focus other places. It was you that had a hold to me. By the right hand. And when I would pull and go my way, guess who had a hold of me? Guess who wouldn't let me go when I tried to slip and stumble and fall? Guess who held me up? God, it was you that wouldn't let me go. It was you. Okay, don't pull that hard on me. <laughs> God, it was you that kept me. From getting all the way out there. God it was you that got a hold of me. And wouldn't let me go. And when I felt like I was stumbling. And slipping. And I couldn't get my feet under me like I thought I was. God it was you. 
all this time, it was you that had a hold of me. Aren't you glad tonight that when our flesh gets the best of us, we get a little cold and indifferent in our spirit and heart? Aren't you glad that he, got, that he has a hold of us by the right hand Amen. and he doesn't let us go? So let me ask you a question tonight. How many of us would admit tonight without a show of hands or any of that kind of thing? I just want to ask you in your own heart, how many of us would recognize we are probably not as close to the Lord tonight as we could be? I think all of us, if we were honest, would have to say, Lord, I could be closer to you than what I am. How many of us tonight be willing to spend some time with the Lord? Say, Lord, I want to be closer to you. The message is exactly what I needed tonight to bring my attention to where it ought to be. All the things of the world back upon you. God, if you'll help me. Number one, if you'll forgive me for having my attention and focus and being just cold and indifferent God, if you'll forgive me, you'll help me. I want to be closer to you tonight than what I've been. You realize if you're willing to do that, the Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 8, if we'll draw nigh unto him, he'll draw nigh unto us. And I'm glad that that's not a 50-50 issue. I'm glad we take one little bitty step and I'm glad he covers the rest of the distance. He's a good God to us tonight. And the fact that he would want you and I to be close to him is an incredible thought all itself. That mere man, mortal, sinful, wicked man, God, no, no, the God to whom the Bible says in Psalm 113, had to humble himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in earth. Did you catch that? God had to humble himself just to look at the things that are not just here upon earth, but the very things that are in heaven itself. God had to humble himself to look at it and behold it. God's that holy. God's that high. And that same God desires for you and I to be close to him. Every head's bowed and every eye's closed tonight. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are.